Well, Cindy and Shirley had been away for a couple of days, and of course my wife, she had made enough food to take care of me up to this point. I've had a big old thing of chicken and dumplings, and uh, anyway, and then my brother in the Lord and my enemy on the basketball court, Tim Weiss, invited me over to see that Duke Carolina game the other night, and man, he's such a good guy, so let's go out, we'll meet a little early, we'll go out and eat, well. Went by there, he said, we ain't going anywhere. He said, I went to the grocery store, and man, bought some steaks, and baked potatoes. Now, he said, if all the other people had been able to come I invited, we wouldn't have done this. <laughs> but since it's the two of us, and we, you know, we just had a great time. And, you know, I think about that. Uh, a wife that takes care of me, friends that take care of me, and there is a Lord and a Savior. Who takes care of us. And he has taken care of our biggest need. And we're going to look at that again this morning. As we continue on looking at the book of Revelation. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 this morning. And we're going to look at the Lamb of God. Who died for us. So if you'll stand in God's honor when you find our text. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell face down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Let's pray. You are the full object of our affection. Jesus, this service is for you. And as we look at your word, as we look at the worship, Thank you for just a small taste you are giving us today of that. We will know one day in the fullness of your glory, worship. Because we will be in front of the one who deserves it all. And Lord, I pray as we continue this service. uh, Father, I just ask that you continue to move among us, Lord, as you have thus far. That the Holy Spirit would not be blocked, but free to... Minister to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chapters 4 and 5 consist of hymns. The first hymns of worship and glory. In chapter 4, the hymns focused upon our Father. How He is pre-existent. How He is all-powerful. But He's personal. Chapter 5 focuses upon the Redeemer. The one who paid the price for our sins. And this morning, we are going to look at this worship service toward our Redeemer. We live in a time where people have this idea that all religions are A road that leads to the same destination. To the same place. 
doesn't matter which road you're on. It's headed to that same destination, that same place. So what matters is not what you believe. It's that you believe. And that is what we hear over and over again in our culture. Let me tell you something about roads. They don't all lead to the same place. Have you ever gotten lost? Believe it or not, I have taken a wrong road before. And I was where I did not want to be. Why? Because I had gotten on the wrong road. And the picture here, although there are many roads, although there are many religions, there's only one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That word way could be translated road. I am the road. I am the only road that leads to eternity. And there are those who not only speak of their roads leading to heaven and eternity, there are those that use the Bible to confirm their different roads. Uh, this is from a guy named Eckhart Tolle, who was popular a few years ago on the Oprah Winfrey Show as a spiritual advisor. And he wrote a book called A New Earth, where he used 22 references from the Bible. And this is a quote from him. Basically, he said he used, talked a lot about Jesus, heaven, salvation, the spirit, eternity. But they were definitions that were not biblical. He says, this quote, he says, Of course we believe in the Bible. It's part of ancient wisdom. We revere the Bible. But the truth is, if you look at what he was really teaching... In, on that show, it wasn't revering. It was more like reversing the, the very truth of God. He goes on in the book, he says, The truth is inseparable from who you are. The very being that you are is truth. Jesus tried to convey that when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. These words uttered by Jesus are one of the most profound and direct pointers to the truth if understood correctly. If misinterpreted, they could become a great obstacle. You see, in Eckhart's teaching, he basically was teaching that Jesus was an enlightened man who was able to get in touch with the Spirit of God, of the Divine One, who is truly within us. And once we get in touch with that divine strength that is within us, then all of us can be the way and the truth and the life. But unfortunately, he didn't quote the last part of the verse of John 14, 6, where it says, no one can come to the Father except through me. Galatians 1, 6 through 9 tells us that if anyone preaches another gospel other than the one in the Scriptures, let him be accursed. Because there's only one Redeemer. There's only one true road. And He is not a thought or a principle or a spiritual force. Like Christian science teaches that Jesus is a spiritual force, a spiritual way of thinking that we must grasp. As one man said, it's like grape nuts, which is neither grapes nor nuts. It's neither Christianity, nor is it really science. But salvation comes not through a, a thought or a philosophy or a way of thinking, but through an actual person. Who came to be our Redeemer. Who died upon a cross. 
who was raised from the grave and now sits at the right hand of the Father. As our intercessor, as our go-between, as our ultimate hope. I love what one commentator wrote on this passage. He said, Only on earth is there any question about Jesus Christ's identity and worth. In heaven they know who He is and what He is worth. Only on earth is there confusion, perplexity, and error. In heaven, however, there is clarity and magnificent worship and singing. And as we open up this text, it's in heaven. And the saints of God, the church is in heaven. And what are the saints doing in heaven? They've, they've been raptured. They've gone up to glory. As it says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a, a Savior from there. Well, that Savior in this text, He's returned. And He's taken the church with Him. And they're surrounding the very throne of God. And that's what we experience as we open up our text we saw in the verses that preceded this that there was a cry for one to open the secret scroll. But no one was worthy. But then one came forward who was worthy. He's Jesus Christ. The only worthy one. And we pick up here in our, our text in verse 8. It says, when he had taken, we had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. There was worship as the one who was truly worthy took the scroll. We saw last time that He is God's Son. He is the Lion. He is the, the from the royal tribe of Judah. He is the descendant of David and yet He is preexistent as the root of David. He is the God who was and is and is to come. He has conquered death. In the grave, and He is the worthy one. There are those who look for answers. They try to discover the future. And they use sorcery and witchcraft and astrology and tarot cards and all these different forms of trying to predict the future of spiritism. But there's only one who truly knows the future. A few years ago, the Wall Street Journal recorded the firing of a trial court judge in the Philippines because he admitted to receiving advice and counsel for some elves. Now that sounds kind of strange to us. But in that part of the world, dating all the way back to the 16th century, there was a belief that elves had mystical power and that they could tell you the future. Anyway, this judge, he claimed to have been able to perceive three elves who came to him, and sometimes he would be in a trance and he would receive information. These three elves, one was named Angel, and he was a neutral force. And then there was Armand, who he was a benign influence. And then there was Luis, who he described as the king of kings. You see these elves, where did they truly get their power? Where were they able really to get their information? They, they couldn't predict the future but it came from the spiritual realm and it came from our enemy. It came from the devil himself. Although he can't tell the future, he's really good at knowing the past and being able to read the present and thus get a good guess on what the future may be as he uses his demonic army to check out the facts that are all around us. 
Matter of fact, back in 1922, the Ouija board went to court. Why they wanted to be tax-exempt? Because they said that they had religious connections. It wasn't just a game. In uh, June 6, 1922, they ended up arguing before the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled against their claim. And so ever since, they are, it's a game. They did not receive that wish to have that status. In Second Kings chapter 1, God forbids using mediums and sorcery and spiritists. Not because it's silly or it's just for fun or it's not really true, but because it opens our minds and our hearts to a realm outside of God that can be destructive. The one who wants to kill you, who wants to destroy you, he's looking for a way into your life. He's looking for a way to gain some kind of control over you. And we have to be aware of that. You know, as it says in John 10, 10, the thief has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But if we look for the one, there's only one. It's His will we seek. It's to Him to whom we pray. It's to Him whom we meditate. He's the one who controls the universe. He's the only one who truly knows the future. And He's the only one worth following. And He is the one we're going to look at today. The Lamb of God. Let's open our text here and go through the verse of that describes our worship, these verses When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. We often wonder, uh, what will it be like to meet him? Well, as the scripture tells us here, it's the most humbling of all things. Because those of us who least deserve it are before the one who deserves most. All the attention, the affection, and the worship. John MacArthur talks about going to a conference where there was another pastor in California that, that spoke. And afterward, he came up to John MacArthur and he brought out the point. He said, one morning I was shaving and Jesus Christ appeared. Do you believe that Jesus Christ appeared to me, John MacArthur? And MacArthur said, uh, well, did you keep shaving? Yes, I did. MacArthur said, then it wasn't Jesus. If it had been Jesus, you'd fallen right on your face, shaving cream and all. Why is that? Because He is so glorious. We want to get as low as we can as we see how high and lifted up He is. And the most humble position we can find ourselves in is just flat on our faces. Before Him... Who deserves it all. Look look as the verse goes on in this description here in verse 8. It says, Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. First is this picture of golden bowls that were being held. Bowls of incense. Fortunately, the Scripture tells us identifies what the bowls really are. As it says here in verse 8, which are the prayers of the saints. 
in that worship, there are the prayers of the saints that are being lifted to the Lamb of God. And, and then secondly, it talks about harps. Now, it doesn't specifically identify to us the meaning of these harps, but it's interesting as you look in the Scripture here, you discover uh, several times that these were used. Uh, in First Samuel 10, verse 5, the prophet Samuel prophesied, and it tells us there was music, and part of that music was the playing of harps. And then again, we read in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15, about the prophet Elisha, who was getting ready to prophesy. And before he did that, he called for a harpist to play. So there is this association with the playing of the harp and prophecy. So what does all this mean? Well, I love what this one author wrote. He said, when you take all this together, the harps and the bowls, indicate that all the prophets ever prophesied and all the prayers God's children ever prayed are finally and ultimately going to be fulfilled. We're we're getting ready to see the fulfillment of all the, the, the deep groanings of God's people as they have waited. Donald Barnhouse said this. This is great. He said, There are four things out of place in the universe Four things not yet in their final place. Christ, who belongs on David's throne, reigning. Israel, who belongs in the land promised to her. Satan and his demons, who belong in hell. And the church, who belongs in heaven. That's where we're going to be, guys. If you know Jesus. All right, let's go on to the next verse. Verse 9. And they sang a new song. As far as I can go. I've got to stop here and preach a little bit. A new song. Why is it a new song? Because up to this point, there's nothing that can describe it that's already been sang. It requires a new song. Not simply one that hasn't been sung before, but one that's of superior value. In other words, as as Brother Robert shared with the children, that's up to about age 99 or whatever, we're all kids. The truth of that, the power, it's indescribable how great our God is. And so this new song was formed in praise. I love it as you look through the book of Revelation. This idea of new is prominent. According to Revelation chapter 2, 17, chapter 3, verse 12, we have a new name. He's given us a new name. In chapter 3, verse 12 and 21, verse 2, a new Jerusalem. That we will inhabit, we will occupy new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21 verse 1. And to sum it all up, Revelation 21 verse 5. I make all things new. He brings it all together. Hey, have you been abused and mistreated? God's going to make it new. Are you suffering and afflicted? God's going to make it new. He's going to make it right. Are you tired of temptation and sin? God's going to make it perfect and clean. That's what He's going to do. Are you tired of drudgery and of life? He's going to make it fresh and new. Are you getting old? Now, preacher, you've gone from from preaching to meddling. Yeah, I know. Guess what? He's going to give us new bodies. And we're going to be new. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Matter of fact, as you look at this, it's an ode to Jesus. It's the English word. 
it, it means a poem that it, it is intended to be sung. If you look at Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, there's a poem within it entitled Ode to Joy. In fact, the, the very symphony was referred to as Ode Symphony of Joy because of the joyful lyrics. They're just part of the lyrics. One sees the banners of joy in the wind through the opening of burst coffins. One sees her standing in the chorus of angels. Endure courageously. Millions. Endure for the better world. There above the starry canopy, a great God will reward. Actually, by the time Beethoven finished this symphony, he was deaf. He could no longer hear at all. Not even one note when he debuted the conducting of this great, great symphony. After the second movement of the symphony, the people jumped to their feet and they began to cheer. But Beethoven knew nothing about it because he couldn't hear. And so he, he looked at those performers, those musicians, and he, he was mad. You know, well, why are we moving on to the third movement? And finally, somebody tapped him on the shoulder so that he would turn around and see the audience cheering as the members of the orchestra wept. Why? Because it was just this awesome moment of gratitude at the beauty of the music that was being played and the power of that music. Here we have an ode of joy. It is an ode. It, it is a song to Jesus Christ. And, and let's look at that song. You are worthy. As John's audience read these words, they thought of the emperor, the Ian, who, when he would enter a place, people had to bow down and worship to him. They had to shout, You are worthy. That had to go through their minds. But at this moment, as John thought of the struggles and the suffering that the church felt at the hands of this evil, wicked emperor, he thought of one who is far beyond him, who truly deserves the worship, who is not forced to worship, but it flows out of hearts of gratitude because they know the identity of this one who rules is the Redeemer who has brought forth redemption to us, His people. As Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Why? Because the church has been redeemed. And that's the next part of this wonderful song. <laughs> You're worthy to take the scrolls to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. This is not talking about an accidental death. To be slain is talking about an intentional death. It is a redemptive message. He was slain. Why? He says, slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. It's a word that talks about buying back slaves so they might be free. In Christ we have been bought back from sin to righteousness, forgiven, made whole in God. And who does that include? Well, look as the verse goes on. From every tribe and language and people and nation. 
In other words, all that we so often think divides us, cultures, languages, traditions, they mean nothing when redemption through Jesus Christ <laughs> draws men and women and children together. It doesn't matter where you came from. It matters to where you're headed and who you've met. If you have met Christ, you were changed. Regardless of the family you've been a part of, you're now part of a new family in Christ. All right, let me wrap this up. Three benefits that we see here in verse 10. You've made them to be a kingdom. Man, we have gone from being paupers to spiritually being immensely rich through Christ, a kingdom under the king. <laughs> you're a prince or you're a princess. What a thought. Secondly, we are given an eternal priesthood. Priests to serve our God. This is not priests who bring men before God. This is priests who go before God and serve Him. <laughs> oh, wow. That is who we are. And then thirdly, given a future promise to this choir of the redeemed ones as they sing before the one who is truly, truly Worthy. It says they will reign on the earth. And we'll look at that later as we move on in the book of Revelation. About that reign which will occur here upon the earth. A future reign that they are singing about that God has promised. Another teacher opened up with this that was popular on Oprah's show years ago. Her name was Marianne Williamson. And in one of her courses about miracles, she wrote this about the crucified Lord. A slain Christ has no meaning. The only message of the crucifixion is that you can overcome the cross. Do not make the pathetic error of clinging to the old rugged cross. Let me tell you, according to the message of the gospel, there's nothing else to cling to if you don't cling to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what else are you going to cling to? There is no other lamb that is without blemish or defect. There is no other one who is without sin who offered himself on your behalf. There's nowhere else to go except to Christ. Matter of fact, I love what Paul said in Galatians 6.14. He said, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, that is the one boast-worthy boast. is <laughs> Christ crucified for you and crucified for me. Have you trusted Him? Let's pray. Lord, uh, it's always good to worship You and to sing before you, O oh Lord. Father, may we take this song this week. Sing it before you. Mm -hmm. uh, Father, I kind of want to do what we did the other week and sing before you this song or shout it out. But Father, as we leave, may we take some time today. Just look at this. Father, offer worship through this wonderful new song to Christ, our Redeemer, our Holy One. 
And Father, I pray uh, now as your spirit moves among us, Lord, may we just respond, whether it's to come to the altar or to make a decision where we are. Father, we want you as the blessed Lamb of God to receive the glory for this time that is sacred. It's a time to say yes to your call, whatever that call may be. So may you have the freedom to call us, and may you provide us the strength to obey Christ's name.